Ahoy! You are listening to Diffuse Tab with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're joined by Ben Jacobs, Managing Partner at Senius Capital. We'll be talking about the drivers behind the biggest winners and losers in the crypto hedge fund space, which managers were able to turn around the ship mid-collapse, and what lessons can be applied to the next bull run. Enjoy! Welcome back, one and all. Um, some of you who haven't been here before are probably thinking, what the hell is going on right now? So here's, here's what you can expect. This is Diffuse Tap. It's the name of the event. We do it every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central. We've done it apparently 100 and, oh, 161 times. So we're going to very briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse, the company doing it. We're going to do a fireside chat with our expert du jour, Mr. Ben Jacobs. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced, because... This is mostly a networking event. About 45 minutes of every hour together is networking with other alternative investors, pretty heavily skewed towards crypto, candidly, um, and small groups of four or five. You usually get you know three, four continents represented. So it's a chance for you to rapid fire and meet a bunch of really interesting folks. But we do want you to learn a little bit, which is why we have folks like Mr. Jacobs on talk about what they're up to to keep your finger on the pulse. If you like the networking aspect of it, we do also do in-person, over-drinks, casual get-togethers. The next one's in Chicago on July 19th, hosted by Mr. David Culver, one of our first um, participants, and I believe he's here again today. Diffuse, what are we? We are a fund platform. We try to find uh, interesting opportunities and turn them into fund vehicles. One that we're pretty heavily focused on right now is our DD30, Diffuse Digital 30. It is a now publicly listed, as of about three weeks ago, index fund of the top 30 cryptocurrencies. So we hold the spot, give more sophisticated allocators an opportunity to get exposure to a broad base of crypto assets without having to worry about private keys or massive discounts like some of the incumbents who will not be named. So uh, do let us know if you have any interest in learning more about that. That's enough of a pitch about us. You're not here to hear from me. We're here to hear from this man, Mr. Ben Jacobs. Ben, would you come? Very highly recommended. So I'm excited for this conversation. Would you mind unmuting and telling the good folks a little bit about the background and what you're up to over at Senius? Yeah. Hi, everyone. And thank you to Kenny and the Diffuse team for having me today. Uh, my background, I, I live in Los Angeles. I'm a New Yorker at heart, though. Although I think LA's bagel scene has gotten much better of late. Um, I run a digital assets uh, asset manager called Senius Capital, where we focus on fund of funds. We have one vehicle that's been live for two plus years. That's a fund of liquid token hedge funds, where we have seven funds in the portfolio currently uh, with uh, over 50 LPs globally. And we have a new vehicle that will be coming to market later this year. That's a fund of early stage blockchain dedicated venture funds focused on managers that have sub 100 million AUM. So early stage focused, specialized, and, uh, and deliberately small. I also am the executive director of an organization called the Medici Network uh, that has a mission of broad institutional digital asset ownership. And I'm the host of a podcast called Senior Studio, where we interview leading crypto GPs and had an episode with Kyle Samani from Multicoin released this morning. So if you're, if you're not sick of me by the end of this, 
you'll definitely be sick of me after you listen to that. <laughs> um, beautiful. So maybe we'll start up with your thesis on using a fund of funds. Why, why did you pick that approach uh, using fund of funds versus kind of betting on individual uh, managers? Yeah, this product was actually developed as a solution for my brother and I to allocate to the space in a way that we thought was better than anything we could do as individuals. So Senius itself means uh, collective intelligence. And I've been investing in digital assets since about 2015. It is extremely complex, difficult to discern what's real, what's paperware. And so over time, just by being patient and investing in the asset class, I had accumulated some capital and instead wanted to outsource uh, investing to managers that uh, were better suited to manage a portfolio in this crazy wild west of an asset class. And so the thought was that you could diversify some of the risk, have exposure to different strategies in a fund of funds portfolio. We then spent a lot of time learning how to diligence, which rocks to turn over from an operational due diligence perspective, and then how to actually discern who has edge on the investment side. And turns out that a lot of people are attracted to that vehicle. Um, and so we uh, we launched with it and now we've continued to, to hone our, our skills in evaluating managers and are now doubling down by launching this new vehicle that we think is highly complementary to the existing fund of hedge funds vehicle. Makes sense. I will say, I am looking forward to the day when I talk to a fund of funds manager whose answer to that question is, I'm lazy and want somebody else to do all the work. <laughs> Not today. All right. But it's it's a lot of work to diligence. And uh, 2022, obviously, uh, a lot of funds, including uh, one already referenced in this call, Multicoin, didn't necessarily do so well. So kind of do you want to tell people some of the background there, what hedge funds were crushing it, and then 2022 were less than crushing it? Um, and what were the major reasons you think that that happened? Yeah, I, I would categorize it as two different types of funds, and I'll highlight their failure points in 2022. So the first are the more long biased directional strategies. A lot of these funds had accumulated excessive amounts of AUM, primarily just by being early. They may not have been traditionally trained portfolio managers or, or asset managers from the financial sector, rather they were technologists. So they were just being primarily long the asset class. And that strategy worked really well through 2021. However, 2022 exposed those who had not paid careful attention to risk vectors, whether that be markets risk or operational risk or counterparty risk, et cetera. And so we saw a number of funds that were on defunct exchanges such as FTX, or they maybe were trying to juice their yields via uh, a protocol without substance to it, like Luna. And as a result, a lot of these funds were exposed once the, the landmines started detonating. And now they these same funds are in a precarious position where they are 80% down off their high watermark with redemptions coming in. And so they're in a very challenging position as they scaled up their operations to manage a fund of you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions. And now they're way off their watermark 
uh, and have a big team and, and they're struggling to be able to generate alpha. So I'd say those are some of the issues with the long bias funds. The market neutral funds, whether they were doing arbitrage, uh, cash and carry trades, DeFi yield farming, a lot of these strategies generated attractive returns in 2021 when there was a lot of retail participation and TVL and all these DeFi protocols was excessively high. Uh, but when inflation started to hit and therefore interest rates went up, when retail essentially got spooked from all the hacks and fraud, the, the opportunities for these trades diminished. And so similarly, these funds are unable to generate the returns that make it worth it for LPs to um, take on the inherent risk of investing in a digital asset hedge fund. Is it worth potentially losing all your capital for you know 15% net when you could invest in, in other means that, that are far safer? So I'd say those are the two categories as to how I would bucket out why 2022 was uh, was challenging for different strategies, but things are much better now. So not all bad. Oh, beautiful. I'm going to pick up Deepin's uh, question here. Uh, what will be the impact of BTC ETF from BlackRock or Fidelity? And uh, will this turn into someone actually taking an altcoin ETF to market? What do you think? Yeah, I think BTC is pretty clearly a commodity. And, and I think uh, I read somewhere that BlackRock has had all but one ETF approved. I think this will make it, it a natural on-ramp for institutions that are getting exposure by maybe you know, buying MicroStrategy or using uh, Bitcoin futures uh, ETFs. So I think this is a more pure product that I think is superior to grayscale or what's already out there and will give comfort to larger allocators that have uh, more rigid parameters as to how they can allocate. And um, yeah, 575 to one. Um, and so I think this will be, it, it's a very positive tailwind. And you know, I think for, there's a reason the traditional finance sector has evolved to where it is. Much of it is imperfect, but there's also been a lot of regula uh, regulation and um, people who've spent decades refining the industry. And so I think for the crypto world to totally rebel against existing financial infrastructure is, uh, is not the correct way. And rather, I think DeFi and traditional finance will ultimately blend and hopefully uh, public blockchains such as Ethereum and Bitcoin will be uh, will create a broad surface area for these traditional institutions to participate in more crypto native opportunities. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you touched on regulators a couple of times in there, and obviously there's no shortage of ETFs pre-BlackRock um, that are denied or just sitting pending. Do you have a view, and feel free to say no, on is the regulatory environment changing? Is the SEC starting to realize that, yeah, you're probably going to lose some of these lawsuits, and, and these are winking and nod, hey, go talk to BlackRock, put this in because we need to start improving some of these and we'd rather do you than Grayscale? Or how do you think, what, what do you think is going on behind the scenes here? 
Yeah, I, I'm of the mind that I don't know how much worse it can get uh, between what happened with SEC and its enforcement action against Coinbase and Kraken and Binance. Like, you know, the cat's out of the bag now. Like, everyone's aware of it, and markets seem to have rebounded quite well. I think there there seems to be positive sentiment around the Ripple case. Uh, it seems less likely now that ETH will be deemed as a security, although we don't have clarity on that. And we're seeing really positive uh, like bipartisan efforts by Patrick McHenry, Senator Gillibrand that are promoting like this digital uh, asset market infrastructure bill that are providing clarity. And I think the U.S. has recognize now that these other hubs that are rolling out the red carpet for this innovation are attracting a significant amount of developer talent, um, funds are, are setting up operations there. And so from a geopolitical perspective, uh, being totally against uh, this technology is a losing proposition. So I think over time, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully see some clarity and it may not be perfect, from a crypto native person's perspective, but at least we'll know the colors within which we can draw. And I think that's the most important uh, element for crypto developers and founders and investors to have the confidence to continue to build and allocate in the investment class. Oh, fascinating. And um, moving forward, uh, I noticed you're making a little bit of a shift to start investing in VCs or people that are investing in venture capital, why why that shift towards kind of supporting the picks and the shovels of the industry versus liquid tokens? What's your thinking around that? And, and why do you think that's an important place to be? Yeah, I have high conviction in both opportunities. I actually think on the liquid token side, uh, projects that have proven product market fit are down 70% from their all-time highs and therefore represent pretty good value. So I do think there is significant opportunity on the liquid token side. However, venture appears to be the best method by which LPs and allocators are comfortable accessing blockchain technology. And there's a lot of companies and protocols that don't have a live liquid token due to them wanting to be patient and, and wait for regulatory clarity and also wanting like, too many projects just issued a token because it was an easy way to make money. Going forward, people, there's less like pumpamentals, I think, involved in token generation events. So these projects are being very deliberate as to how they're planning a token launch. If there's even a need for token at all, with new primitives like restaking with Eigenlayer, consumer applications and infrastructure or middleware like oracles may not even need their own token to bootstrap their own network. So the only way to really access some of these opportunities is via venture. And so while valuations on the early stage side have not compressed as much on as the as the liquid side, uh, I still think there's a tremendous amount of innovation that needs to happen in this asset class, both from an infrastructure perspective and from an application perspective. And I think we created it, this second product 
to ensure that investors who may not be able to stomach the month-to-month volatility can be confident that they're still getting exposure to the innovation that's happening here. First off, thank what humponomics. That was great. I've never actually heard that term before. So uh, thanks for adding to my lexicon. Uh, kind of very practical question from Roman in the audience. You mentioned uh, some of these have found product market fit. He's looking for examples. And I'd actually add on to that from a venture mindset because I, I ran a VC fund in a former life. I still technically do. Um, things like discounted cash flows and things would, would imply a particular valuation that might be divorced from what a crypto valuation would be. So product market fit, the valuations, kind of how do you view kind of those fitting together? Yeah, I think product market fit is a a tricky thing to evaluate in digital assets because it's really t- with all like these wallets and they're not assigned one to one and you don't like one person could have multiple wallets. It's tough to discern mm-hmm. how many active users there are engaging with a specific protocol for an application. However, over time, like the fact that decentralized finance has facilitated hundreds of billions of dollars of loans and transactions without the need of a any middleman uh, or centralized party is indicative of there being a kernel of something. NFT volume, the, the launch of all these PFP projects, many of which will fall flat on their face, such as Board 8, have pressed the button on the culture that I think is emblematic of there being something here. And again, all of this is new. It's two to three years old at this point, you know, from when it really started to catch momentum. So I don't think like you can track the metrics the same way as you would a web two startup where you're looking at, you know, audience growth and retention and churn. Um, but I think we're seeing actual on-chain activity. And while it's down from an ish, uh, from where it was back in 2021, we're now seeing new application or new technology like layer twos, like app chains that are improving the highways so that when there is a killer app, that people will be able to operate in a way that is sustainable longer term. So I don't think you can compare it one-to-one with Web2 metrics, but I think there's enough proof in the pudding to demonstrate that some products like a Uniswap or a Compound or a Synthetics or a DYDX have captured material attention. And then a a category that I'm excited, uh, that I think represents uh, a really compelling future is Deepin which you could consider as decentralized physical infrastructure networks. So these are, um, I'm sure many people have heard of Helium historically, where uh, Helium launched a a network that was user-owned and operated, where anyone could run a hotspot and contribute to this broad spectrum of IoT connectivity. Now that same model has been applied to other verticals. So project that I personally am a a big fan of is Demo, Digital Infrastructure for Moving Objects. And this project, very similarly, has bootstrapped uh, demand by creating a device that you plug into your car, you connect the, the Demo app to this device, and then you provide data about 
your car. So energy consumption, uh, movement, uh, uh, traffic information, transportation information. And in return, you get supplied with Demo token, an ownership stake in the network. And then on the other side, you have insurance companies, OEMs, uh, battery providers that purchase Demo, stake it in order to access this, con- this global community of people who've uh, plugged in their car and are supplying data. So rather it being siloed by a specific you know, Honda or Tesla, you're seeing it across all these different vehicles. So I think we're going to see that model applied to decentralized compute. Uh, we're going to see it with AI uh, LLM models being trained by people and then being uh, being uh, compensated for their time and efforts via tokens in that network. So projects to look at there are Jensen, Render, and these are emblematic, I think, of new kernels of product market fit that are actually doing quite well in a bear market and in the next bullish regime could really catch fire. So I think we've seen DeFi, we've seen NFTs, we've seen stablecoin proliferation. And now I think we're starting to see real world use cases as people like to frame them. And I think Deepin uh, could uh, be an example of that, that I'm excited to monitor. Well, that's cool. Well, I know I'm going to be downloading the demo app later today. So thank you for that. Might make me, you know, like five, five bucks. Uh, it's, it feels a little bit like ways back in web too, but you know, you get money arguably versus thumbs up. So that's cool. Uh, well, unfortunately, that does bring our little fireside chat to a close. We never have as much time as we like. Uh, ben, we always ask the same question. You've already kind of preempted it a bit. Uh, tell us the future. What are you excited by? You mentioned some cool projects already, but so this is your chance to, to rattle off some more things that you're you're excited about in the future. But for everybody else, you're going to be popping into breakout rooms. Please be respectful of one another, and it's networking, not pitching. So that too. Uh, we do not do a full participant list for privacy reasons. Swap details in the chat room if you meet somebody you absolutely need to connect with, or join our Telegram group. Uh, introduce yourself. You'll see announcements of future events and just whatever people got on their minds. Uh, breakout room format is roughly that. You all can read. And Isla is going to give you a topic now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the topic is, what is an interesting fund thesis that you've heard in the last six months that's worth sharing? I'll pop you into rooms now, and uh, we'll see you back here in just about 10 minutes. Hi, welcome back, one and all. Let's put my uh, official background back up there. There we go. Mr. Jacobs, back spotlight to you, sir. You want to unmute and tell people the future. What are you excited by? Feel free to rattle off some projects. People all go research on their own time, however you want to play it. Yeah, I I think I hit on a, a couple um, last time. I, I'm very excited about uh, the intersection of AI, LLM, machine learning, and, and, and crypto. And I think we're in the early innings of figuring out how ZK as a scaling and privacy solution can enable uh, digital assets to, to run things off chain and then verifiably prove it so that on chain such that uh, execution can happen much faster. Uh, but we don't lose sight of the, the verification. So, you know, a common example uh, would be you hand uh, 
a bouncer your ID, it would say that you're over 21 without uh, disclosing your actual age. And I think starting to see enterprise use cases of that, adopting ZK technology that then you know uh, settles on uh, like a layer one or a layer two, I think is something that is a real use case that is coming down the pipeline. And right now, like ZK has has come to market much earlier than expected. A lot of the infrastructure around it still needs to be built, such as the hardware to support this uh, zero knowledge compute um, and GPU compute for for AI. Like, how do we uh, bootstrap? Like, you look at Nvidia, and there's like a, a giant shortage of these GPUs. So, how can a decentralized protocol potentially support that by like allowing um, people to rent out the space on, on their laptop or phone to support. Um, those are all interesting use cases that I've been thinking about and, and I'm not technical, so I have to spend a lot of time trying to understand what's going on. But the more I peel back the onion, the more it's starting to crystallize uh, in my, my, uh, my, my brain. And then beyond that, more so, I think we're seeing a lot of activity on decentralized social creator economy. Like we're seeing music uh, be created. Um, like for example, there's a K-pop band right now that is totally decentralized and governed. Like imagine if everyone here on this call were a member of the management team for this K-pop band that was actually incubated out of a major fund in Korea called Hatched. And we could all make decisions and help support this band that we then have an ownership stake in. So I think there's interesting uh, experiments going on uh, from like a, a more creative side, and you could apply that same lens to the development of IP. And so we're seeing a group like Pudgy Penguins, for example, which is an NFT project uh, where these penguins have now been uh, that were NFT PFPs that are now being created into actual toys that are being sold online and in retail stores everywhere. So they're starting to be a lore and a, uh, a broader universe made around this internet native NFT IP. So a number, a number of different ways, whether you want to go more technical, uh, you know, more fun and, and social and cultural. To me, that's part of what makes crypto so exciting. Yeah. It's that crypto is not an asset class. It's rather a container and a wrapper and a suite of tools that can implicate each industry. And so finding those uh, opportunities that crypto unlocks is uh to me, what, what makes this uh, ever so stimulating. All right. A lot to dig into there. That That's really exciting. And I tell you what, when I was a K-pop star, I would have really appreciated some of that stuff to help manage my career. I thought you were a K-pop star. Ms. <laughs> <laughs> Isla, you got another breakout room ready? Yeah, absolutely. So ready to roll. And moving forward, what kind of fund structure do you think is going to dominate moving forward or type of fund? Is that going to be liquid? Is that going to be venture? Thing is that going to be something entirely different? I hear uh, private credit uh, absolutely everywhere these days. So uh, let us know what kind of fund do you think is going to dominate in the next six months. I'll pop you into rooms and we'll see you back here just before the hour.
All right, all right, all right. We'll do a quick wrap up. And Ben, we're going to go back over to you. Please plug your pluggables. How can people find you? Talk about whatever. Uh, yeah, well, thank you to everyone. This has been fantastic and, and really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, three call outs. One, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I was going to quickly try and pop it in, but now that I'm talking, I, I can't really do it. So find me on LinkedIn, connect. Um, Follow along on, on Substack, seniuscapital.substack.com. Um, and you could find our, our weekly newsletters and then access to our podcasts. And then uh, on Twitter, I'm at Benny, B-E-N-N-Y, P, Jacobs. So hope, uh, hope to connect with you all. And thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing some of your, uh, your knowledge. And a quick couple wrap-up items for everybody. Uh, This is a weekly event, Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central. Starving startups. Come check it out. Uh, July 19th in Chicago, location TBD, which is why the event's not on our list just yet. Uh, But it'll be somewhere downtown-ish. So y'all know the deal. Uh, Come check it out. Meet folks in a pretty casual um, environment. And I'd say Chicago is probably the the most of of the network or are based in Chicago in some way. Uh, do join the Telegram group. Introduce yourself. Great for making connections. All that loveliness. And Isla, anything else else to talk about? No, that is it. Aside from bring a friend or recommend a speaker if you'd like. Uh, we love having new folks on here. Yep, for sure. Well, thank you, everybody. Ben, thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for showing up. It doesn't work to network when it's just me and Isla. Not that interesting. So <laughs> we'll see you next week. Have yourselves good ones. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, everyone. All right, bye. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.